Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me today is Alex Chang, Chief Marketing Officer at the San Francisco 49ers. Alex, great to have you on the show. Hey, man. Good to see you, Rob. Can you give a quick overview on who you are and what you do? Yeah, no problem. Like you said, I'm the CMO of the 49ers. Um, so my job is to oversee all of our external marketing communications. So everything from branding, advertising, media, digital, social. Um, it also includes um, in-game entertainment, um, experiential, as well as corporate communications. So you got a few things on your plate that you're working on. Um, but what I'm really excited to jam with you about is you have a new, the 49ers have a new campaign coming out called Faithful to the Bay. And I want to sort of go down a few of the different things about it because I think it's extremely interesting on multiple levels. One, in the current landscape and climate that we're at, uh, sports fans, we're craving football. And for an organization, I'm curious how you've been able to manage getting through this, managing your expectations and the fans' expectations. Yeah, man. I mean, it's really been a um... – a difficult and I think really unique past six months for all of us, uh, no matter what we're doing, you know, for us personally, as a team, we were just coming off of the Super Bowl um, and sort of in a little bit of that post season lull um, and getting ready for the start of this season, which at the league year starts with the draft. Um, and that's when the pandemic hit. Um, and then we started to have to pivot and figure out how we change our approach to marketing all around. Right. Because even like the draft is a great example. That event was to take place in Las Vegas it's a dual event for the league. Um, they've done a really good job activating that as a live event in those cities. So last year was in Nashville. This year would be in Vegas. They expected 50,000 plus people to be there for that event. And obviously the television product for the millions of viewers at home and all of that had to shift very quickly. Um, and you guys saw the end product. You know, you had Goodell in his basement announcing picks. You had, you know, the cam set up with all the different draftees in their homes. Very DIY style. I think what we found from that, and I think is a good indicator of kind of sports in general, is that at the end of the day, the production value really was secondary to the content, meaning what people cared about. And especially at that moment, because it was one of the few kind of live things happening in sports up to that point um, in the pandemic, people want the content. People want to understand like what's happening with their team. Who is my team going to pick? Who, is, who are the um, studs going to be? Who's falling down the board? Who are some of the late round steals? The ratings, when you looked across, you know, linear and digital were the record for the draft, right? And it probably comes as no surprise now thinking about it, but at the time, there was a little uncertainty about it because there were a lot of things going on and people knew that this wasn't going to be the bells and whistles and fireworks and all that that you normally expect, um, but it worked. And we've seen that kind of play out throughout the course of the offseason is that fan interest remains extremely high as long as you're getting them information they need and the content they crave how you do it doesn't need to be necessarily what you did in the past so i actually prefer the non-overly produced content because it's relatable it's something where when we see the coaches and the general managers at home we could all sit there and be like well wait a second that's what we're like there. Or we could look at their home and there's that voyeuristic thing of the inside access that we don't normally get. And I know 
Teams are usually good at giving us this inside access, but so often it's so manicured. And I say that in a good way. It's like everything looks like hard knocks, but sometimes we love the relatability or the authenticity of just someone grabbing their phone and there's this real emotion or, hey, let me take you to what my car looks like. So we look at MTV Cribs was awesome or Pimp My Ride. And there's these things that are very relatable. And I'm curious how you guys balance it because you can produce the best of the best. And, but we as fans, we don't necessarily care about it, but there is an element of polish that um, we do like, but sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a delicate balance, you know, and I think it depends on time and place. You know, when it comes to our live games, you're going to see a full blown production. It's going to be extremely polished. Everything is going to be, you know, cue to perfection down to the second, perfectly choreographed. Um, when it comes to some of our social content, maybe not as much. You know, sometimes this, you know, year for training camp, we just set up a, a camera as the guys were coming off the field. Each day we had a different message for them, different prompt. No one was there, just a prompt and just say, hey, like, uh, give a shout out to the fans or, you know, give us your goofiest look, whatever it is. The guys do it. It's vertical content. It's shot on a phone. Not the highest production value, but you know what? The fans love it because like you said, it gives them a different view of these players. You know? And same thing happens with coaches and GMs, et cetera. You want to get a sense of who they are as people. Um, and what we're finding out now, especially what's going on from a societal perspective, is that our players, coaches, GMs, personalities are not one-dimensional. You know? And I think the fans want to see what all those other dimensions besides what they know on the field. Is this going to shift the way that athlete marketing or branding could be done? Because I can just imagine if you guys had a camera, no different than if you're at a wedding where they're like, hey, you want to roll over and take some pictures right there? I believe that is the type of content and access that allows an athlete's personality to shine, to have multiple of them come there. And you get this rawness to it where they're at training camp or they're hugging, they got it all around them. Uh, what are your thoughts on the evolution of that? Where could this become a good thing for branding absolutely i think what it creates is an accessibility um and it, it and also it cuts down the production time you know i think before you may have had days weeks months you know when i worked in uh, traditional advertising six months from inception to getting a spot on you know broadcast television today it can be six seconds you know and that immediacy and sort of being relevant to what's happening in that moment is really important right and the fans expect that um but yeah i mean it's funny like the best performing content that we see are the things that you just wouldn't see anywhere else and you wouldn't expect to, but it's, it's things like these just mic'd up side conversations when, you know, Kittle is, is talking about Avril Lavigne and singing Skater Boy, right? Or like when she's talking about, uh, you know, uh, Celine Dion, you know, it's just these weird kind of one-offs or Richard Sherman's asking a teammate, like, is this the baby or is this a little baby? You know, and they have this whole conversation about the difference between the two babies. I mean, Things like that, I think, are really entertaining for fans, and it gives them something that we as a team can provide because we have that access, and they aren't, aren't going to see that you know, when they read their traditional sports media. Is there a potential evolution for the team to almost act like an agency for the athletes? So take someone like George Kittle. He's got a huge personality. Everyone would love to get more of him, but he's not exactly sitting there being like, hey, here's my podcast team or my video team, or he might be, but really the, the ability for us to duplicate that where you say, listen, we know the process. We know what you're looking to accomplish. So could you say, hey, anyone who's part of the 49ers, we can help you create 
create your own YouTube show to become more digital and recreate the way that athletes now see themselves more as brands and they've got the ask, they've got the access, they've got the audience and you just help them facilitate that, but maybe in a way that isn't so, uh, it's only put out by the 49ers, but maybe it's in, in uh, together 49ers and the athlete brand. Yeah, I mean, our job is to support our athletes whenever way we can, right? First and foremost, our job is to help them win games on the field. Secondly, yeah, of course, off the field, we want to help support them. Um, and in a lot of cases, that involves helping build their brands, giving them that exposure, giving them a platform to let their voice be heard um, and get them out there. You know, Kittle is someone, it's a really good example, where coming out of college, he was under the radar, right? Like he was fifth round draft pick. Not a lot of people knew about him some potential was there, but didn't put up, you know, sort of big numbers in college. Like you would want to see from in terms of like receptions and yards and touchdowns and all of that came in, you know, shattered the uh, tight end receiving record for a regular season. Then people started to understand that he was a stud football player, but still didn't know he was as a person. It was after that, you know, when we started to really think about focusing on George and like getting his personality out and finding out these little quirks about him, you know, the guy loves WWE. Like he's a hardcore wrestling fan, right? The guy is, so funny, very approachable, down to earth, gets along with everybody. Is basically like a goofy dude on the sidelines, but then as soon as the whistle blows, he's all business. And it's that type of thing that we like to show fans. And I think for us, if we can help expose that to fans and to brands and help grow his um, brand that way, we certainly want to do that. So let's talk about the faithful to the, the Bay campaign that the 49ers are launching. What was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, you know, I think we were um, looking at a campaign that we had had for about five years. Um, and the phrase was faithful then, faithful now. And I think as we were looking at last fall, my feeling was it was time to move on. And what I wanted to do was find something that was A, forward-looking. Um, because the 49ers have a storied history, no doubt about it, five Super Bowl rings. But the reality is um, for younger fans, you know, people my kid's age who are 11 and under, that is just a – couple of pictures of guys in a history book. They didn't live through that. They don't remember it like I did. And so as we're trying to build the next generation of fans, I think looking forward is really important. The second thing we wanted to do was um, create unity amongst our fan base. We have one of the most diverse fan bases in all of sports. And when I say diverse, I'm talking about everything, geography, ethnicity, um, age, gender, et cetera, it runs the gamut. And the one thing that we found that kind of binds them all is the idea of faith, right? And our fans are called the faithful. That's what we call our fan group. Um, and we love this notion of faithful to the Bay because it sort of creates both sort of civic pride and unity, but it also helps capture the spirit of this area. I'm not from the Bay area. I lived in New York for 20 years. I grew up in, in North Carolina. Um, I've been here for about a year and a half now. And I'll tell you the vibe out here is very unique. The Bay area is something that it just feels different. You know, the innovation, diversity, culture, just the energy here is a very unique thing. Um, and the Bay Area isn't just one thing. You know, we have nine counties, a lot of different cities that have different personalities. And we know the 49ers are something that can unify all of those groups. And so that really was the spark for the concept of Faithful to the Bay. 
So when speaking of unification, let's talk about the role of user-generated content because one of the things that I love as a marketer is people always love to see their name in lights. You give them a shout out, boom, they're going to tell everyone in the world it is the best form of marketing. And I can imagine with an organization like the 49ers who have been so successful, you guys have fans all over the place, including the Bay. So the amount of user-generated content you create, there's probably a plethora of it there. But what role do you see? Because for me, I feel like it's the best form of marketing because it's the most authentic. It's the most real because you look and you're like, I am like that fan. No doubt. You know, I think fans ultimately are the embodiment of the team and of the brand. And we want to make sure that we celebrate them, we showcase them, and we give them the tools they need to create that content, you know, and show their pride. Um, a lot of what we thought about the campaign actually was um, derived from that. Even like the, the hero logo for the campaign, that arched faithful to the bay, that design was based off of iconic 49ers jacket. They had these gold satin jackets that were iconic from the 80s. Starter made them in the 80s and had 49ers written them. Yeah, right. And so these are these jackets that people really cherish. They're one of these like holy grail type items to find like the original starter ones on eBay and whatnot. But the way they wrote 49ers on the back was with that arch, right? And, and with that typeface. So things like that were important to us as we developed this campaign because we wanted to pull from history and things that people have pride in. Um, but also we knew that like as we start to design our own gear and we're going to have a satin jacket with that design on it, that's going to be something that people are going to want to take pictures of and are going to want to share and create user-generated content from. And I believe that's a very important thing because I know you guys will be doing some stuff with Mitchell and Ness. And for me, I love all things sports, both throwback and nostalgia, as well as present day. I'm someone who can rock a flat bill or a backwards hat. And I think it's such a good opportunity because you look at the way that fashion is now a culture and a community. And certainly if someone's rocking that old school 49ers uh, starter jacket, they're probably rocking some Jordans or some Yeezys and they might be rocking a flat bill Mitchell and Ness. And you want to give your fans the opportunity to swag out. And certainly with you guys being in the Bay, I mean, that's just a cult. That's just a hotbed for culture. Can you talk a little bit more about that? hundred percent. You know, cultural marketing is important for all brands, but as a sports team, we have a unique opportunity because we're already embedded in, as a part of culture, right? And when I talk about culture, I'm talking about things like fashion, music, art, entertainment. I think we attack it in a few different ways. One is, like you said, very tangible ways for fans to engage in that, right? So we share our playlists with them, right? Bay Area artists that we feature at practice, in games, like in our content, apparel, a great one, right? We have awesome partners like Mitchell and Ness and Levi's and Fanatics and all these groups of local designers who want to create gear because people rep gear. You know, you think about marketing, it's really interesting. People love a lot of brands. How many brands will people tattoo on their bodies? How many brands will people rock the hat, the sweatshirt, right? Put a bumper stick on their car and fly a flag in front of the house. It's just sports, right? And, and I've worked in a lot of brands inside and outside of sports and some of the best brands in the world that people are very loyal to and the metrics are great but the emotional connection is very different. Um, and so that's something we certainly recognize um, and want to capitalize on. And here's one thing that I think is important to this is the voice and the personality of the team in the brand. And I think one of the unique challenges is the, the inherent swag and personality that is naturally there that comes from the 49ers. One part past success, 
one part future looking forward. Like you said, you guys were just in the Super Bowl there, um, but there's also an element of, of brand safety, and you also want to always make sure that you appeal to the widest audience but at the same time we know that when you can specifically speak to a niche in a certain way how do you guys balance that delicate um dichotomy there between voice and personality so that you have one and it's not just hey we're one of 32 nfl teams and we just sound like everybody else yeah i mean we have our own identity like you said and it's driven from our history it's driven by our location it's driven by our players, both past and present, and all of that factors into who we are. You know, like I said, the same way that the Bay Area has a very distinct personality to me, the team has a distinct personality. And, um, and that's expressed through what we do, but also through our fans. To me, that personality is confident, you know, and it's one that has a little bit of swag, right? But it's not cocky. Um, it's one that's direct, it's straightforward, it, it kind of, we're very human, we're down to earth, you know, we are who we are. Um, and then the day, the sort of legacy and history and the kind of tradition of the team will always be there. Um, but yeah, to me, personality is expressed in so many ways. And for us, I think it's pretty clear who we are. Um, we're not a generic team. We're not just one of 32. Um, and you'll see that come to life through the campaign and through everything that we do. One thing I'm curious on, which I think would be good insight is it's always nice when everybody's winning, you're going to the Super Bowl, it's easy to create marketing. You're like, boom, our marketing is popping right now. But guess what? You play in the NFL where you do inevitably lose games. How do you guys handle that? Or what is the mindset surrounding when you might lose and uh, the marketing process around it? Yeah, I mean, look, you have to be contextually relevant and understand kind of like where the emotions of the, are your consumers in our case fans are at that moment in time. But at the end of the day, people love sports because of the ups and the downs. They don't want to admit that. Right. But the reason why people love sports so much is because the emotional connection and they can live vicariously through that connection, right. With other fans, through the players, et cetera. And that's riding all the waves, right. And the highs make it worth it. And the lows make it really hard but it's the journey that you go through um, is why people stick with this. So from a marketing standpoint, you don't hide and you don't get quiet if you're not playing well, but you recognize the situation, right? You're not going to be doing things that it might be a little bit more off color or goofy or like overly celebratory. If the team's on a losing streak, like that just doesn't make sense. Like you're not reading the room, but you also don't go hide uh, in a cave because at the end of the day, your fans are still out there and they still love your team regardless of what's happening. Can you talk about working with influencers? Because guess what? Among a fan base, you're going to have some select few that stand out that are notable and what it is like working with them. Because oftentimes from the outside, we may see a picture of a celebrity, whether it's uh, Andy Samberg in the Lonely Island crew, or I think I saw a picture of, of Nate Diaz. And how, does, how do things like that manifest? Are you guys actively seeking that out? And what is the response like for them? Because um, they may be huge in one area, but then all of a sudden you take them and put them in the 49ers area and they're just like little school kids like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. <laughs> no doubt. Um, they're fans like everybody else, you know, and, I, you know, my, my, and, and my past work on the brand side, um, for, again, some of the best brands in the world, mostly for brands, influencer marketing is about someone getting paid, right? You got to show them the bag in order for them to show up with your product and do the post and all that. And it's very forced, very contrived. And consumers know that they can smell that out. For us, man, it's completely opposite. These are real fans. These are fans who are reaching out to us saying, hey, I love the team. What can I do? Like, can I come down? I want to meet the guys. 
I'd love to be able to come to the game. Like, I'd love to just help you guys any way I can. I'm an artist. Can you show, you know, can you feature my music? Um, I do street art. Is there something I can do for you guys? I'd love to do a mural for you. You know, for us, working with influencers is really nice because it is truly an organic relationship. Um, we don't pay anybody, right? For us, influencer marketing is about showing kind of our best fans, our most loyal fans, and ones that have a lot of reach, some love, and they show us love back like any other fan. Uh, Alex, one thing I'm big into is success mindset. So there's a lot of people who are going to be watching and listening to this who see you in your position. It's like, wow, I would love to have the opportunity to be the CMO of a professional football team one day. But of course, that does not happen overnight. So can you share some insight into sort of your success mindset in terms of what it takes to get from where you started to where you are now that we might be able to implement on our end? Yeah, for sure. Um, this wasn't a planned path. Uh, I was pre-med in college. You know, I kind of weaved my way. I started working in the late 90s in the first dot-com boom. And I kind of navigated my way through the first wave of the dot-com boom in the late 90s, early 2000s, doing more traditional marketing, then moved into sports entertainment marketing specifically, worked on brand side, agency side, um, and now on the team side. What I can tell you is throughout that entire 20 plus year journey, I think the key for me was continuing to take chances and continuing wanting to learn something different. You know, like I said, starting as a pre-med bio uh, major and being a CMO of an NFL team, like there is a logical path to that. No one can map that out. It, and, and I didn't map it out. It was a series of moves every two years, every 18 months, every three years saying, what's the next best opportunity for me? What's getting me excited? What's something I want to learn more about? What's something I think could be really cool? I've always been a sports fan. And so the personal interest has always been there. When I discovered sports marketing as a profession, it was sort of like utopia happened because I was really at that point committed to marketing, loved sports, didn't really understand how the two would work together as an industry. Once I discovered that and really got into it, and this was at American Express where I oversaw sports entertainment marketing, it was sort of the light bulb went off. And I knew like, this is the spot I want to be in. How are you intentional about what you learn and learning new things? Because I think a lot of people would say, all right, I'm on board for learning new things, but how do I know if I'm learning the right thing? Because you mentioned it's sort of a circuitous route that got you to there. So how were you actively seeking things out? And was it a forward thinking mindset where you looked at the industry to where things were going and you got ahead of the curve of things? In some cases, yes. Some cases, no. Sometimes it's next best opportunity. You know, I was doing sort of traditional brand advertising at American Express. I, I was there 13 years total. I did six different jobs. So my fifth job was doing traditional brand advertising. So like your typical 360 campaigns, TV, print, digital, et cetera, um, marketing their credit cards, essentially. An opportunity presented itself just because, you know, someone left, some reward happened. Opportunity presented itself for someone to run sports marketing there. And again, had no experience in the space. I knew what they did, knew the people on the team, didn't work with them directly, had no expertise in sports marketing beyond being a sports fan. Um, and that opportunity was just there. And I said, you know, what? I'd love to try that out and see what's all about. At that point, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, in other cases, like, you know, over the past two years, for example, I have to you have to recognize gaps that are there and be more proactive about it. You have to say, you know what? I don't understand TikTok, but I better start figuring it out because that's where eyeballs are going. That's where people are paying attention to, but we're spending time on. So let me understand that space. So, you know, there's no perfect answer. I think sometimes opportunities are there and you have to figure out, is it time to make a move and be um, aggressive about it? And sometimes it's really sitting back and being honest with yourself and saying, you know what, 
there's an area that I feel like I should know more about and I don't and going and pursuing it. What helps separate you? Because even if you didn't have a ton of experience in something, you're great at a lot of different things to be able to continue to move and do these opportunities. So there are going to be a lot of people out there who say, all right, well, I may not have experience, but I know I'm an ace when it comes to pretty much everything. So was there a secret sauce or something that you did differently that helped contribute to this? No, I think it's just, you got to grind, you know? And like I said, you got to be one to learn you know, and, and kind of walk into the room, not feeling like you're the smartest person in the room, you know, learn from those around you. You know, I had so many people in my career mentor me um, and help me grow. And that's one thing great about the sports industry in general. It's a really tight knit community, as you know, Rob, it's a really small group of people. Everyone kind of knows everybody. And what's nice about that is you have these relationships that's, that, that sort of span beyond what job you're in at that moment in time or point in your career. You know, you have connections that you make early on that stay with you throughout. And I've had that same experience. And so for me, it's been spending a lot of time like learning from those people, you know, sitting back and observing them, having deep conversations with them, getting advice from them throughout my career. And that's really helped me all along the way. Um, and, you know, I, I got to tell you, I mean, this is an awesome job that I'm in. Now. I mean, it's phenomenal as a marketer to be a CMO. That's where you want to be as a sports marketer to be in the NFL. That's exactly where you want to be. And then to be in this market with this team. Um, and the future they have in front of us right now. I mean, it's incredible. Um, but I would tell you that it, it, these types of things are achievable, but you got to grind. Like this isn't going to fall into anybody's lap. You got to grind. You got to be aggressive. You have to take charge of your own career. And what I really take from what you say is the power of relationships and your long-term mindset in it that it may not necessarily just be about yourself because there is going to be a give and take between the people who are going to mentor you or help you or where you're going to be able to learn from them and your ability to continue to cultivate. Because like you said, we are a tight-knit industry of people. And that's the exact reason why I created this podcast in the first place was I wanted to be able to have conversations with awesome people like you. More importantly, I want to learn from people like you. So it's like, I could send you a cold email, but guess what? Probably not going to get a response. However, you go ahead and create a podcast and say, hey, let's talk about your success mindset, what you've got going on. Let's share that with others. And for me, I guess the best piece of advice I would say for people is continually double down on relationship building. And sometimes you may not see the immediate a reward today, but I promise you, if you continue to double down on that, um, it will be the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there are lots of young people that reach out to me, hit me up on LinkedIn just to connect, you know, and I think that's great. And I'm happy to give advice because I was given so much advice. And I think most people in our industry understand that reciprocity because they benefited from that, right? And they want to pay it forward as well. So yeah, that's great advice. I totally agree. Alex, I'm really excited about the Faithful to the Bay campaign. I saw the deck that was sent over. You guys did a phenomenal job. Where can people find out more about that in the 49ers? Yeah, I mean, easiest way is follow us on social. Hit us on our website. We're launching the campaign September 9th. Um, and we're going to stick with this for a while. This isn't going to be a fly-by-night thing. You're going to see this for years to come. We'll continue to build on it. We're looking forward to working with um, you know, our players, my team, our fans to be a part of it. And Alex, where can people connect with you? Uh, from a business standpoint, LinkedIn's the best spot. They can hit me on LinkedIn and we can take it from there. And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. I got two questions. Number one, who is your favorite San Francisco 49er? 
for me, strangely, the first person who popped into my head was Tom Rathman. I think mm. about my watching football as a little kid and boom, there's Tom Rathman. Of course, there's Jerry Rice and these Joe Montana guys. But nonetheless, I love the obscure athletes. And number two, I would love for you to check out the Faithful to the Bay campaign. What stands out to you about it? Hit us up and let, let us know. You can hit me up on all social media platforms at Rob Cressy. Would love to jam with you and build a relationship. I'll send out anything good that gets sent in. Baby, that was money. Tell me that wasn't money.